0: In the Word of God, there's no neutral ground on this topic. God is the Almighty. He is God all alone. He is the great I am, and there can be no other. Elijah asks one of the most common sense questions ever found in Holy Scriptures. How long will you halt between two opinions? His answer is equally rich with common sense. If God is God, then follow him but if Baal is God, then follow him. The point of the prophet was unmistakable. Have some character and some guts and stand for something. Stop your ridiculous indecision. This sermon, just like the actual event in history, is frank and to the point. Listen in as Pastor Joplin preaches the message, the ridiculousness of indecision. One of the things that is often lost in this story of Elijah and what's historically known as the showdown on Mount Carmel is that this is about Israel. Uh, We know we typically have the picture of one man, God's prophet, versus 850 false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. But what is often lost is that all of Israel is summoned there. Ahab is the king of Israel. In other words, God's people who were once led through the Red Sea and set free, God's people who through the conquest of Joshua and Caleb came and conquered their enemies, this same group of people are now being led by a wicked king. And when you read the first few verses of chapter 18, we started in verse 17. When you read that first 16 verses, here's what you learn. Not only was Ahab the most wicked king ever of Israel, but Ahab killed, slaughtered God's prophets, and he had a bounty on Elijah's head. It wasn't just that he's worshiping the false gods and set up an altar to Baal in the house of Baal that he erected. But that he, in addition to this evil and wickedness, was slaughtering the pastors. He was an evil, evil man, and this is the king of Israel. And what we learn from the story is it all of Israel had ultimately turned their hearts to all of Israel was called to an account and elijah tells elijah shows up face to face with ahab he says you know let's meet me versus your 850 prophets but i want you to note there was one other request and that was gather all of israel So the people of Israel were there, and it is the people of Israel that Elijah is addressing when he makes this one statement that I want to focus on this morning. In verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. I want to look at that statement. I want to acknowledge the greatness of how simple it is. It's just a common sense statement. If God is God, then follow him. And if he's not, then don't. If Baal is God... Then follow Baal. But the prophet is saying, whatever you do, make a choice. Have some guts. Go one way or go the other, but do something. And notice the people answered him not a word. We see a people who are really a bunch of cowards, Much like, historically, people don't change much. But much like the church of today, we're not going to say anything. We're going to wait and see what everyone else says. I'm not going to say anything that would indict myself. I'm not going to tell you what I believe. I'm going to be very cautious. And if the crowd goes this way, then I'll go that way. If the crowd goes this way, then I'll go that way. And here the prophet has the guts to stand and face them all in front of everybody and say, make a decision. Who do you serve? One of the things that's greatly encouraging to be about this passage and a handful of other events in history is that God can do an incredible work with just one person that has enough guts to stand for him. That's really awesome. I mean, you've got a wicked king who married a wicked wife. Who are serving wicked gods and false gods. You got a bunch of people who don't have enough integrity to stand for what's true. And you've got one man who says, let's meet on the mountain and have a showdown. Who is God? That's an important question. And I want to point out that what follows is, is let's prove it. Let's figure it out. Let's get it settled. Whose God is God? Let's get it settled. Let's figure it out. And let's move on and live accordingly. We see that God is a God of facts. He is a God that can be proven. When I look at this statement, I see three demands that God makes directly to you and I. Every single one of us, God demands these things of you. What I want to look at this morning. Number one, God demands a distinction between himself and all other gods, little g. There is a distinction between Jehovah God, Yahweh, and all other gods, little g. You see, the heathen people, here's what they believed. They believed that all tribes had gods. They were basically tribal gods. And a lot of tribes, a lot of groups of people, nations, whatever you might call them, sometimes they had several gods. And one of the things about tribal gods is that no matter who they were, they all had limitations. Yes, they were supernatural, so they believed. Yes, you could contact them through prayer, but they had limitations. That's why they had a God of the sun, God of the rain. God of this thing, God of that thing. And you had to kind of figure out how to get in good with each of them so that that God might give you the thing you wanted. And for most of the heathens, they just assumed the God of Israel was just the same way. God says that is not the case. I am God all alone. And you must make a distinction. God demands that there be a distinction between Him and all other gods. He is unlimited in his power. He is eternal. He is the great I am. He is the one that holds the universe in his hands. He is the one to whom all other gods, little g, will eventually bow a a knee and confess that he is the God of heaven and earth. He is God all alone. And he says there is a distinction between me and all other gods. It would do us well in the church to remember that again. I've heard it said, and I will say no a thousand times and a thousand times again. No, we do not worship all the same God. No, all the other religions in the world are not just worshiping the same God. God says, You must make a distinction. He says of His Son, There is no name given under heaven whereby men might be saved. You must make a distinction. Either God is God, and He is God all alone, or He is not. There is no neutral ground. You need to know that. In the Word of God, there's no neutral ground on this topic. God is the Almighty. He is God all alone. He is the great I Am, and there can be no other. Often people want to say, you know, well... They're like, I don't have to make a decision on what you're saying, preacher. Yes, you do. You've made a decision even if you don't think you have. It's impossible for you to not make a decision on this matter. Your decision to not make a decision is a decision to acknowledge he must not be the one and truly only God. God. Jesus said these words, and I quote, He that is not with me is against me. That's what Jesus said. That's pretty straightforward. Either you're with him or you're against him. But there is no middle ground. God demands that there be a distinction made between him and all the other gods. And we have to be very clear on this. Number two. We see that God demands repentance from the cowardly act of wavering. He uses that word that's translated halt, it's translated limping. It can literally mean Passover. What it means is, I'm gonna take a look at it, but eh, I'm not real sure. I'm gonna pass over that option. And then I'm gonna look at this, mm, I'm gonna pass over that option too. I'm just going to kind of limp between two choices. I'm not going to make a decision. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? God rebukes the procrastination of the people. They're going to look one way, and then they're going to look the other. One day they're going to be in and then one day they're going to be out. How absurd It's as if God is saying, do you have no conviction? Do you have no principle running through your blood that brings about enough conviction to stand for what you believe? You seriously change from one day to the next depending upon your circumstances and the people that you're around. You're going to walk into church, and you're going to worship God here, and you're going to sing the songs of God's praise, and you're going to hear the word of God preached, and you're going to walk right out the doors and cuss with your cussing tongue, sleep with who you want to sleep with, live how you want to live, hang out with your sinful friends. One day you're in, one day you're not, and God is saying, stop the cowardly act of wavering and have some guts, and if you're going to follow God, then follow God, and if not, then don't, but quit your wavering." from one way to the other it's a cowardly way to live how long are you going to go on limping between two opinions you have no intelligence you're too stupid to come to facts are you too dumb to come to a legitimate conclusion on what is true and what is not Look at the matter. Get it settled in your heart. Get some conviction. If God is worth serving, then serve God. And if not, then get out. You know, that's what the Bible's telling us here. God's not impressed with your half hearted showing up. God's answer is like, look, get this settled. Get out. I will say that's the one thing that I did well before I got saved. I didn't waver. I mean, I was all in for the world, folks. All in. One hundred miles an hour. And thank God I did the same thing when I turned my heart to God. All in. One hundred miles an hour. There's no wavering. And if I was going to go and dabble in the world, I would just go and I would give it all that I had. What's the point of wavering back and forth? The person who oscillates on these matters doesn't enjoy Jesus, nor the world. You're not close enough to God to really enjoy the benefits of truly knowing Him and truly the joy of of living a life full of Christ. Christ. And yet you're still too tied to your dead religion to be all in in the world. And so you don't even get the real temporary satisfactions that the world gives to offer. What a terrible place to live. It's as if God is saying, just make up your mind to do one or the other. And the third thing that we see, God demands an immediate decision be made. If God is God, follow Him. There's the decision. If Baal is God, follow Baal. There's a decision to be made. No going home and thinking about the matters. It's really simple. It's not profound. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of thought. In fact, it's all the foolishness of all the, the, you know, everything else that keeps us from coming to a decision. It's simple. God is God, then serve him. If not, then not. There's a decision to be made. God demands an immediate decision. Now, I want to point something out. We re- I read the whole story because I wanted the context. There was a decision to be made, but Elijah said this. He said, let's, let's, let's prove it real quick. Let's do a little test here to see who is God. And you read the story. And the people sit there and witnessed the evidence of God. And then there was a decision to be made. Here's what you need to know about God. While God does demand a decision. While God does demand that you repent of the cowardly act of wavering back and forth. His demand to do so is based upon a sincere evidence of the truth. Trusting God and trusting Jesus... Turning to God is not some blind step of jumping into the darkness and just hoping that it's true. God has proven himself over and over and over and over again. Now in this era of time, we have more proofs than have ever existed. Here we have fire falling from heaven, but in our time, brothers and sisters, we have Jesus raising from the dead. One of the absolutely most provable facts of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You better believe there are fools that have tried to undermine it. Their straw man arguments take nothing but a little bit of a wind to blow over. Jesus Christ was crucified in front of the crowds, buried in front of the crowds, resurrected in front of soldiers, and then witnessed by hundreds of people after his resurrection. It is truly one of the most provable facts of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God does not just expect us to believe on nothing. He is a God who proves himself. He is a God who proves himself to be true. What is the evidence, you might ask, for one, the history of the church? In Revelation 7, 9, it speaks of the great multitude that no man can number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the church, brothers and sisters. We are evidence of the living God. All the souls that have ever been saved and radically transformed by God's supernatural hand. We are evidence of the living God. I stand here this morning as evidence of the living God. A man that the Holy Spirit touched and transformed me in a moment. And gave me a new nature and a new heart and a new tongue and a new love for people and a new love for God. He radically transformed me and I stand as evidence that there was a God in heaven who has the power to change a sinner. The blood can make the vilest man clean. The Lion of Judah can break every chain in your life. Real decision springs from conviction. When God demands a decision, that decision should spring forth out of a settled conviction in your heart. It's not just some opinion. Opinion's never saved anybody. You've got to get it settled that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that Jehovah is God, that He is God all alone, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And then when God says there is no way to be saved under heaven except through the name of Jesus, I know it to be a settled fact, and it is a conviction that is deep inside of me. I have character, and I've got some resolute uh, uh, decisions that I have made, and I'm going to follow God because God is God? You've got to have that conviction in your blood. And we see God is challenging the people. Have you no conviction? Have you no character? You wave from one to the left, from the right to the left, from one way to another. There has to be an end to this miserable vacillation. Place yourself somewhere. Be something. Have a creed of some kind. If you don't have a Christian creed to live by, then find another one. But believe something. Stand somewhere. Go one way or the other. Do not be jumping from one thing to the other. That is the challenge. If the Christian life is right, then live it out. Carry it out. And if it's not be right, then give it up. I think about the question how long? We see that the claim is urgent. Like, how, how long will you wait? How long are you going to limp? I appeal to your intelligence, your conscience, common sense. I appeal to the longing that God Himself has placed inside of you for better and higher things. I appeal to your unsatisfied souls. How long will you limp between two opinions? You know, this has an incredibly obvious, unmistakable application to the sinner. If you're lost here this morning, how long are you going to stay lost? How long are you going to limp between two opinions? But let us not forget that God, through the prophet Elijah, is addressing his own people. That's who he's addressing. And we, as God's people... We need to come face to face with this question at a handful of moments in our lives. How long will we waver between two different opinions? If God is God, then serve God. God. is not moved by half-hearted devotion. He sees straight through it. The things that keep. God's people or those who call themselves God's people from true, full, complete, unhindered devotion to him, at times it's ridiculous. We see so many worried about persecution in the church and, and, and we might have to go through persecution and persecution and persecution. And, and honestly, number one, I actually think that might be really good for the church. Some persecution might weed out the fakes. But on the other hand, like, we don't even need persecution to keep people from the church. Good football game will do that nowadays. Your busy schedule is so important to you that God comes second, third, fourth, or fifth in your life. And this morning, God says to us, How long are you going to limp between two opinions? Am I God or not? God says, Am I worth serving or not? Do I not deserve, does God not deserve the reward of his his suffering and the reward of all that he has went through? And does Jesus not deserve the reward of our faithfulness for all that he has endured for you and I? And yet, even in the church, the reality is that so many, God is not first. Look at your life, look at your time, look at your pocketbook. It'll tell you what's first in your life. And if you want to know God's opinion on the matter, we've read it in 1 Kings chapter 18. How long will you waver between two opinions? You know, the claim is urgent. How long? The people of our text had three and a half years. How long have you had? How long have you been wavering between two opinions? Like, how how long will you waver? Have Have you set a time? Have you set a date? Have you decided, like, three weeks from now... I'm going to quit wavering. Next year, on March 14th, that's the date, preacher. Now, how long? When will you stop oscillating between two opinions? When will you make God your God? And another great question is why? Like, why are you living the way you do? If you find yourself guilty today, and you find yourself someone who truly oscillates and vacillates between two different opinions and you're one person here at church and you're another person when you leave. If that's you, why? Why do you do it? What are you after? Elijah calls for a decision in light of the facts. And so do I. Joshua said it when he said, choose you this day. Whom you will serve. We will serve the Lord. You know, there are, there are ignorant fools at times that have tried to tell you altar calls aren't biblical. I say ignorant fools because they apparently haven't read the Bible. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily to a crowd. Yeah, they didn't take wood and necessarily cut it into the same shape of the benches that we call altars. Here's what you will find repeatedly over and over and over again. After the message was given, a decision was expected now, and it was expected publicly. That's an altar call, folks. Whether it was Joshua saying, choose today. Whether it was Elijah uh, here saying, if if you're going to follow God, then follow God. If not, then follow Baal. Whether it was Jesus speaking to people publicly and giving them the opportunity right then and right there to make a decision. We see that God demands a decision. We see that God is clear enough. The reality is that God is that. He's clear enough. You know. You don't need to go think on it. You don't need to meditate on it. You know if the God of heaven and earth is dealing with your heart, you know. There is a decision to be made. So worship team comes in place. I want to say again, it's not a question of whether you will do anything about it or not. But it's only what are you going to do. For do something you must. Jesus died for you and I in a public place. When he deals with us, the least we could do is be willing to respond in a public place. God knows my heart when I say this this morning. Guys, it's the word of God. It's Jesus that said, if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. That's what the word of God says. Now, I say all that not because, and God knows my heart. If you're, not, if you're new here today and you haven't heard me preach much then you're just going to have to take my word at what I'm about to tell you. I'm not a big, huge, like, altar call guy where the goal is to always try to get 50, 60 people to the front of a, 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 the church. I'm just, it's not who I am. And I recognize completely and totally and fully that, that being motivated by sheer emotion, being motivated by shame, any of that, it never leads to Repentance. Earthly sorrow does not lead to repentance. Godly sorrow does. But we live in this limping culture where we don't ever want to bring anybody to decision. It's one of the reasons the church is so stinking weak. It's as if every message that goes out these days is not meant to make it. It bring you a decision at all. No decision to be made. We're just learning here, we're just working through. No, God says, yeah, there is a decision to be made. It's as simple as distinct. If he is God, then quit your sinning, quit your oscillating, quit your vacillating between one world to the next. Quit, stop it. If he is God, then follow him. And if he's not, then just say that he's not and go live your life. That's a decision to be made. child of God, The word of God directed at us as it was to Israel. Are we so quick to turn our back on God? Live one way one day and one day the next. Do you have no character? Do you got no integrity running through your blood?